This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy uh, that you have chosen to listen and or view uh, this podcast today. I believe this is our fifth podcast uh, that we have done since the start of 2018. Uh, we call it Thrive. Thrive is an acronym, and I always like to put out there what Thrive represents. Thrive uh, stands for transformative thinking, uh, helps ministry, renewed relationships, invitation to evangelism, visionary worship, and excellence in administration. Thrive is the theme uh, for Shiloh this year, and uh, we expect it to be the theme for the next couple of years as we move forward. Uh, I don't believe that uh, we should be content uh, to just survive. Uh, too much of what we do within the church and within the African-American community is geared toward survival. I think that as representatives of Jesus Christ, as his disciples in this world, uh, we are called upon to do more than just survive. We're called upon to thrive. We're called upon to succeed uh, with excellence. We're called upon to become our best selves. And so that's the focus uh, that we want to put forth in our church, and that's the focus that we try to put forth through this podcast. Uh, we started this podcast, uh, for those who might be watching or are listening for the first time, we started this podcast because we thought that it would give us a different venue, a different opportunity uh, to uh, speak to contemporary issues uh, that affect our nation uh, on a broad scale, but more closely on our community on Baton Rouge. We're located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, we are a traditional African-American church, 145 years old, uh, and we're seeking uh, to uh, discover together uh, what it is that Christ is saying to his church uh, at this point in the 21st century. Uh, as we grapple with the issues that affect us. I believe that as important as national and international uh, politics uh, can be, uh, that still uh, the greatest amount of uh, impact that we can have uh, within our communities uh, is through churches that are at a grassroots level dealing with the issues that affect us. Uh, dealing with uh, city and, uh, for us, parish or county uh, government officials, dealing with uh, the realities of our local economy, dealing with the realities of our local school systems, dealing with the realities of our local culture. Every community has its own culture, and I'm sure that most people would agree with uh, that statement, that uh, uh, too much of, of what we do is to try to generalize uh, who we are uh, on a national or perhaps even an international scale. And we lose sight of the fact that there's individual flavor to each of us. Uh, uh, and I think that when we narrow our focus down to uh, our own communities and the issues that confront us, that those local flavors 
uh, come through. And I think that uh, if you can identify them and uh, if you can develop uh, strategic plans by which to respond to them, you can have great success. Uh, I was reading an interesting article uh, this morning uh, in the newspaper talking about the disparity uh, of African-American attendance of flagship universities across this nation uh, versus uh, white attendance of those same universities. And uh, the point that was being made is that Louisiana lags behind the rest of the nation when it comes to integrating African-Americans uh, into uh, the flagship universities, which for us is Louisiana State University, LSU, uh, the LSU system. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't have the article in front of me, but I believe my numbers are fairly accurate in what I'm saying. Uh, the, the article suggested that in the year 2016, which I would imagine would be the last year that they had a measure for this, uh, African-American student body uh, within LSU was at 12%, 13%, which uh, did not surprise me very much. I'm, I'm an alum of LSU, uh, 1983 graduate of Louisiana State University. Uh, and at that time, uh, student body, black student body at LSU was roughly around 10%. According to the article that I read, it had dropped as low as 7.8, nearly 8% uh, at some point in uh, the early 2000s, and now it sits at 13 or 12%, something like that, something in that range. But it hovers around the 10% mark, and uh, of course they had quotes in there from uh, administrators from LSU that were saying how happy they were to see the improvement that has taken place and how they think that it is the result of strategic planning that they have put forth. Now, I bring all of that up uh, only to say that I found it interesting and striking uh, that we are still, we being African Americans, are still uh, being the targets of the predominant culture uh, with regard to bringing us into their system. And success is still being measured by how many of us uh, can they get into uh, their system. Uh, and I think that that has uh, uh, resonance that goes beyond uh, higher education. I think that has resonance when it comes to employment. I think that it has resonance when it comes uh, to government. I think that it has resonance when it comes uh, to neighborhoods and, and where people uh, live. I think it has resonance with where people worship. It is my contention uh, that uh, the predominant culture, that uh, the Anglo culture of, uh, of our community uh, still wrestles with how they can speak to African Americans uh, and how they can uh, have the impact in the African American community that they want to have. And I think that there are, are, are several things behind that, uh, s several questions. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, 
uh, I don't have a a full flow uh, of my own understanding of this. I'm 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 questioning certain things as I look at it. But as I read that article today, uh, it dawned on me that there are uh, predominant culture churches in our community that have made it their business for the last 25 to 30 years to try to draw a certain number of African Americans into their congregations, to become a part of their uh, congregation. Uh, and uh, that is alarming to me as a pastor uh, because one of the things that, that we have to recognize is that uh, while in the African American community, church attendance is still uh, larger than it is in other uh, subsets of our community, uh, Anglo, uh, Hispanic, Asian, uh, that number is shrinking. So when uh, Bethany and Healing Place and uh, First Methodist and First Baptist, when they draw uh, African Americans into their congregations, these are African Americans who have made the conscious decision to not be a part of an African American church. And uh, that to me is concerning. It's far more concerning to me that African Americans choose to attend Bethany than it is that African Americans choose to attend LSU. Because uh, the, the theology and the ministerial thrust of a Bethany uh, and of a healing place and, and of those type churches is far different from uh, the theological thrust of a church like Shiloh uh, or of other traditional African-American churches within our community. And when these choices are made, it only does damage to the effectiveness of our churches because it limits our ability, it, 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 it shrinks our ability to have the kind of impact uh, that we want to have. Impact on what, somebody's asking. Impact on evangelism, impact on ministerial outreach, on missionary work, uh, impact on the message that we want to convey uh, to the community, the impact that we can have on one another when it comes to uh, engaging the community in ways that can be helpful and substantive and positive, such as voting, such as the things that we were talking about last week, participating in uh, civic affairs, attending uh, Metro Council meetings and school board meetings, and uh, finding ways to make sure that our voices are heard on the issues uh, that are relevant to us. You're not going to find Bethany talking about Alton Sterling the way Shiloh talks about Alton Sterling. You're not going to find Healing Place talking about police reform the way that Shiloh is talking about police reform. Uh, to those communities, the police are, are, are a wonderful thing. And I'm not saying that the police are not wonderful. I believe that the police are wonderful also. I also believe that, that police uh, reform is absolutely necessary in East Baton Rouge Parish. Police reform is necessary within uh, the city police department. Police reform is necessary within the sheriff's office. Police reform is necessary within our state. That there is 
a disproportionate uh, bias that exists within local law enforcement towards African-American people, towards poor people, towards people of color that uh, negatively impacts the effectiveness of the service that they try to render. I don't necessarily believe that it's always a, an intentional racism as much as it might be just a lack of understanding of the communities uh, that you're trying to serve. Now, I, I, don't, I, I don't mean this to become a discussion on police reform. We've, we've already done that. I mean this to, I use police reform as an example to say that Bethany's not going to talk about police reform. Bethany's going to tell you about how you need to make sure that uh, you're good to your spouse and you're good to your children and that you make them a priority in your life and, and, and that's absolutely correct. You should. Bethany is going to talk about developing a strong prayer life and they're going to give you routines that you can follow uh, to enhance your personal discipleship and your growth in the knowledge of scripture. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with all of that. All of those things are necessary. But what is also necessary is to draw a parallel between scripture and what is going on in our community today. And Bethany is not going to do that. And Healing Place is not going to do that. And, and, and primarily uh, Anglo-led churches are not going to do that because their experience within the community is vastly different than our experience. And while they want to draw, while they see it as part of their mission to draw people of all colors because they, they want to put forth the argument that that's what heaven is going to look like. And if you know anything about heaven at all, Heaven ain't got black, white, red, yellow, anything in it. It's the dumbest argument that has ever been made with regard to this is what heaven is going to look like. Have you read the scripture that says flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of God? That means that there is no African-American. There is no Anglo-American. There is no Asian-American. There is no Hispanic uh, person uh, in heaven. They are, there are the saved and there are the lost. But before you get to heaven, you have to live here. And within our community, within the confines of our community, there is vast discrimination and bias and bigotry that exists depending upon your race, depending upon your academic achievements, depending upon your academic access, depending upon your level of income, there are vast and distinct differences. There's a difference between those who reside in South Baton Rouge and those who reside in North Baton Rouge. I'm going to be more specific. There's a difference between those who live in Country Club and those who live in Banks. There's a difference between those who live in South Downs and those who live in the bottom. That has nothing to do with heaven when you die. That has to do with the realities of life while you are here. And churches stand on the forefront of saying what thus says the Lord, not just about heaven when you die, but about the status of your life, the quality of your life while you are here. 
So while flagship universities are struggling with what they can do to get more than 12%, 13% African-American attendance in, in, in their university, while, while that's LSU's trouble, my concern is how many people will it take for Bethany to be satisfied or healing place to be satisfied? And understand, people go to church where they want to go to church. I can't tell somebody where to go to church, and I can't criticize those who choose to, to worship where they worship. What I can point out is there's a vast difference between the message that you're going to get there and the message that you're going to get here. And frankly, I don't mean it to sound arrogant, the message that you get here is going to be more relevant. It's an amazing thing when black folk find out that they're still black. No matter where they work, no matter what their level of education, no matter what their accomplishments are within a community, no matter how many friends they have of other races, it is an absolutely astounding thing when black folk find out that in the eyes and in the minds and in the hearts of the dominant culture, regardless of what you achieve, at the end of the day, you're still black. And when those discoveries are made, then you want to come and you want to sit down and you want to talk about what we can do to address these issues. And you want black clergy and, and black community leaders uh, to rally around your issues at that time because you have made the discovery that you're still a black person in Baton Rouge, in East Baton Rouge Parish. Guess what? I've already made that discovery. I know who I am. I thank God for what he's blessed me to experience and to accomplish. I thank God for the experiences that he has allowed me to enjoy. But I have a clear understanding that at the end of the day, I'm still a black man trying to make it the best way I can in a world that is decidedly against my success. You don't have to approach that with anger. You don't have to approach that with uh, any kind of uh, uh, negative self-esteem about it. You, you don't have to feel bad about who you are, and you don't have to be mad that people don't accept you for who you are, but you do have to have a proper appreciation for who you are. It's bad enough when you try to fool other people about who you are. It's awful that you engage in self-deception and you have lost track of who you are. In the year 2018, it is still true that the greatest singular voice that speaks for the black community is the African American church. And when we abandon the African-American church and go to other churches, we stifle that voice. We mute that voice. We limit that voice. And we have to be careful that we don't uh, allow that to continue because it's to our own detriment. Not with regard to salvation. Everybody believes that if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to heaven uh, when you die. It's about how you live while you are here.
And so I'm troubled by the fact that uh, the flagship university uh, in Louisiana, my alma mater, uh, is, is happy with a 12 and a half or 13 percent African-American student body population uh, and, and that they feel like their efforts are successful uh, because uh, you have less than one in five uh, African-American students at your campus. I'm, 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 I, it's troubling that that's okay. But what's more troubling to me is that African-Americans are making the, the, the choice, making the decision to leave the African-American church, leave the African-American church experience and uh, affiliate with churches that really don't speak to their issues and really don't have an interest in uh, what it is uh, that uh, will enhance the quality of their lives. Is anybody paying attention to the hypocrisy that exists within Christian evangelicals today, how they can continue to be supportive of wholly unqualified candidates. Forget the moral uh, dilemmas of, of President Trump. Uh, President Trump, from the standpoint of a politician, from the standpoint of uh, a person who is knowledgeable and aware of world events is wholly unqualified to be president of the United States and yet evangelicals continue to support him overwhelmingly and the churches that many of uh, our African-American brothers and sisters choose to attend are those churches that support his presidency and think that he's doing a fine job. That's troubling to me. Uh, it's troubling to me that uh, we can be so caught up in our own success, in our own personal success, that we have no uh, appreciation for the fact that the struggle continues for others. The fact that you've gotten up out of the pit is something to be celebrated. We should all celebrate the fact that you've gotten out of the pit. But when you look back down into the pit and see that there are others still there, the celebration needs to stop and we need to reach a hand back and we need to try to help others get out of the pit as well. And the fact that you've made it out of the pit can be so much more helpful to us because now you're in a position where you can actually have influence. You're in a position where you can actually uh, make a difference. And too many of us are choosing not to do that. We listen to self-satisfying messages uh, that, that tell us that uh, we're successful because God wanted us to be successful, which suggests that those who are not successful are not successful because God did not want them to be successful. Then what is it that the African-American church needs to do to respond to the realities that exist. Uh, I don't think that uh, we're doing enough. Uh, I think that uh, there are many situations, many areas in uh, the work of the African-American church where we have settled for complacency, which is why we have gone to <clears throat> this thrust toward Thrive. Uh, we can't continue to operate the way that we have and expect 
to serve the needs that exist within our communities. And I can sit here and complain about the decisions that other people have made with their own lives and with their own families. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's not very productive. I think the most productive thing that the African American church can do is to get back to uh, its roots of not just conveying a message with passion and power, uh, a message of hope and a message of trust and a message of faith and a message of commitment. But I also believe that we have to back uh, that messaging up with action that shows that we are willing uh, to put ourselves on the line in order to bring about the kind of quality existence that we think all people should have access to. The, the, the strength of the African-American church is not just in its worship, but it's in what it did when worship was over. The strength of the African-American church was in the fact that it was the recognized hub of the African-American community. The strength of the African-American church was that it had access to places and offices and individuals and groups that African-American people as a whole did not have. And that is as much true today as it was 50 years ago. Now, people might take issue with that. They might say, oh, well, I don't need the church to get access to this, this, that, and the other because I've gotten out of the hood. I'm no longer a part of that experience. I've moved beyond that. And that's great that you have been able to move beyond that, but there are many, many others who are still there and they don't have access. And the church still has to be that voice. And the church has to recognize the prophetic nature of our charge. We are not here simply to proclaim heaven when you die. We, we, we are not here simply to celebrate the fact that, that we're saved, uh, but we're here to speak as Nathan spoke to David and say, King, what you've done is wrong. And you need to get right. You need to make amends. It is the church's responsibility to speak to power as John the Baptist spoke to Herod. Recognizing the risk that, 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 that comes with that kind of language, with that kind of behavior, with that kind of activity. Recognizing that this is not a popularity contest. And that when we take these stands, they're going to be unpopular uh, in the eyes of many within our community. And for those who are uh, not entirely comfortable with their identity as African Americans, uh, they can be persuaded that perhaps we've gone too far, or perhaps there's some hidden agenda. You know, much of the New Testament that Paul writes has to do with Paul defending his own personal integrity as a as an apostle of Jesus Christ against attacks of people within the church the attacks that came against the apostle Paul if you read Galatians if you read uh, Romans if, if you read uh, 
any of the Pauline epistles. Much of, of what Paul spends his time dealing with are personal attacks against his integrity that came from people within the church. So why should we be shocked that when the church takes stands that speaks truth to power and seeks to bring about equity and justice and, and uh, provide uh, balance within the community where everyone has access to the very same things uh, that, that all of us want to enjoy. Why should we be surprised that there will be those who will stand up and say that we've gone too far, that our interest is, is personal and not in the best interest of the larger community? We shouldn't be surprised by that at all. As I've said in previous podcasts, I don't think that uh, we can afford to be isolationist anymore. The church can't afford to ignore other aspects of, of our community. But the church has to be the one that brings everybody together. Using a, a rather uh, weak analogy, uh, when, 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 when you look at the African-American family, in most African-American families, there is a hub figure, there, and usually it's, it's grandma or big mama, whatever they want to call that person. And people will gather, they will come together, and they will lay differences aside because big mama said, come together. You ever been to a family reunion where uh, arguments begin to break out and disagreements begin to to uh, break through the, 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 the conversation, and then Big Mama says, all right, that's enough, and everybody stops. Because Big Mama has a certain degree of authority within the family that calls people back to attention, that calls people back to respect, and that's what the church has to be. The church still has to be the hub within our community that calls all aspects of our community back together and reminds us of what Christ's call upon our lives is. As I have loved you, so should you love one another. We preached on this topic uh, this past Sunday, uh, John chapter 13, where Jesus says, this is how men and women will know that you are my disciples. They'll see it by the love that you show toward one another. It is the call, it is the charge of the African-American church to see to it that everybody within the family is loved, that everybody within the family is appreciated, that everybody within the family is respected, that no one is left out of that. It is a hard task. It is a difficult task. It is an arduous task. It is an unpopular task. But it is the task to which we have been called. And it is a task that cannot be accomplished by anyone other than the church because no one else has the authority that the church has. But the church has to claim and stand and speak and move within its authority. You're not going to get that from other venues. This is Fred Jeff Smith. Thank you for being part of our podcast today.